It's good to see you guys today. Good, are you with me? All right, good morning. All right, that's much better. It's good to see you guys today. Um, lots, lots of things happening today. Um, I read, either I think it was sometime last night or early this morning, that, you, of course, you know, today is February 2nd, 2020. It's the first time in 900 years that you can write the date backwards, and it's the same for everyone on planet Earth at the same time. I'll let you figure that out, but it's 02-02-2020. And the first time it's been that, you know, that you can write it backwards in 900 years, where it's the same day, same date for everyone on planet Earth. That's pretty cool. It's also Groundhog Day. I love Groundhog Day. I mean, it's not Christmas or Easter, but it lets me watch Bill Murray's Groundhog Day without my family thinking I'm just weird. And uh, I, I love that movie. Uh, the, the, the part of it that just kills me is where he says, uh, it's Groundhog Day again. You don't, you don't, have you seen the movie? Yeah, thank you, Scott. It's, fun. it's so fun. I love that. Love that in the movie. And uh, then there's something else happening today. What is it? Oh, yeah, there's a Super Bowl. Super Bowl. Uh, I'm still pouting because the Panthers are not in it, and uh, I'll pout until next year. And if we're not in the playoffs and the Super Bowl next year, I'll just keep pouting until we're back in it. That's just how I am. I love my team. Um, who, who do you think is going to win today? Those of you who th- 49ers, 49ers, show of hands. Okay, okay. Uh, Chiefs. Man, I'm not really sure what that is. I mean, I'm pulling for the Chiefs too, but I was sort of surprised. It was the same way at the 9 o'clock service. They were all about the Chiefs as well. Um, I read this morning that, well, by the time the game begins, there will be $6.8 billion bet on today's game. Not $6.8 million, but $6.8 billion. Think about that. That's amazing, isn't it? Uh, I'm not a a betting person, but, man, that's a lot of money. I'm not a betting person, but I grew up a Baptist person. And uh, I heard heard something, a joke this week I thought was funny and that I would share it with you guys. There was uh, this Baptist man, he was a little low on funds. He decided to go to the horse track, do some betting, try to win some money. Uh, after about three races, and he had lost every time, he was just sort of disgusted and was on his way out. And uh, he walked by the horse stables, and there was a Catholic priest there praying. And listen, I don't offend people, so just hang on. If you grew up Catholic, don't walk out thinking, this guy don't like Catholic. Now hang on. Um. But there's a Catholic priest, he's in the stable, and he's praying over the one of the horses. So the guy thinks, well, maybe I should stick around and watch this. So he goes out to the track. Sure enough, that horse won. So on his way back out again, goes by the stable. The same Catholic priest is there. He's praying over another horse. The guy walks back out to the track. Sure enough, that horse won the race. On his way back out, he goes by the stables, and that same Catholic priest is praying over another horse, but now he's touching its head, touching its eyes, touching its back, his legs, his hooves. This guy goes to the ATM and empties out his savings, puts it all on that horse. Race starts. 
horse takes off. He's in the lead. About halfway down the track, he just falls over, graveyard dead. The guy goes up to the Catholic priest and says, man, what in the world is going on here? You prayed over the first two horses. They won, but this third one, you prayed over him, and he died. The Catholic priest said, you know, that's what I don't like about you Protestants. You don't understand the difference between a prayer of blessing and the prayer of last rites. <laughs> so... Anyway, if, uh, if you have your Bible with you, open it up or turn it on. Go to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 6. We're going to look at Genesis 6, 1 through 9. And we're talking today on the theme of living a life that God can bless. And we're talking about the life of Noah. Now, the story of Noah is told in Genesis 6, 7, 8, and 9. We're not going to unpack the whole story of uh, Noah and the ark and the flood, we're just going to focus on really chapter 6 and and the qualities of Noah's life that brought God's blessings on his life. Now, I know that uh, whenever you talk about Noah, it's almost like talking about Jonah. In, in Jonah, it's always the fish that gets all the press, right? Well, in the story of Noah, it's usually the flood and the ark that get all of the press. Well, we're, we're not going to talk so much about the ark and the flood. Now, we will later this year. I'm going to do an apologetic series, and we're going to talk a lot about the flood and early earth and late earth and middle earth and... Um, Lord of the Rings and just all, all kinds of stuff, uh, but not not so much, not so much today. We're going to talk about Noah's life and four specific qualities about his life that brought God's blessings on his life. And I think the place that we start first is talking about what it means to be blessed by God. When you get to Genesis 9, the flood has already happened. It's already taken place. The human beings on the earth except for Noah and his family and uh, and the animals except for those that are with Noah and his family on the ark, everything has perished. And all of, all of that's over. And, and by the way, just as a side note, I, I think this is somewhat funny, if not interesting. When, uh, when Karen and I were younger and having our, our two kids, Annie and James, uh, we, we were, we were a, a little bit older. Uh, by the time Annie and James were born, let's see, I was 30 when Annie was born. So, you know, some of my friends, they already had kids that, well, some of them had kids that were in first grade by then. But, but there were other young couples that we knew. They were having babies about the same time. And I remember we got invited over to the home of one of these couples we knew. They had a, a you know, brand new baby, and they wanted us to meet them. And uh, so we went over, and we went into the nursery, and I didn't say anything I did later, you know, like once we were really good friends and I could talk about these kind of things. But it was so odd that it was decorated like Noah's Ark. Now, I, I, I know that there's a way to sort of cartoon up Noah and the flood. But I just couldn't help thinking this is 
Oh my, oh my goodness. The story of Noah and the ark, listen, it's a horrible story. Everybody dies. You realize this. And so it just seemed a little bit odd to me that it's decorated all over this baby's nursery walls. I'm, I'm sorry if you did something similar. I'm sure it was cute and all that. But the story behind the story is that, man, it was a, it was a, a terrible, terrible thing. And at the same time, God is a savior. See, one of the things that throws people off when it comes to God, especially as it relates to Noah and the flood, is that they can only look at God and see that God was a killer. Actually, God is a savior in the story. God was out with humanity because of humanity's sin, and we're going to get to that in just a minute. But he was out with human beings, but instead of killing off humanity altogether, he, he found one righteous man, Noah. He saved him and his family. He did save creation ultimately because we know that it was plant life. Later, there were animals that would repopulate the earth. The ark is a light at the end of a very sinful, terrible tunnel. God is not a killer. God is a savior. You know, whenever you're looking at a passage of Scripture, you, you should never just take that passage of Scripture alone. You, you always need to know the context for that passage. For, for example, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, it's one that um, I've been, you know, I, I've committed it to memory and I've... I write it constantly. It's one of the verses that I just, for 2019 and 2020, I've just been declaring. And it's, uh, it's Psalm 5110, where David says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Well, that's not just a verse that's just a nice little verse that's a Facebook meme and it looks good on social media. Um, the Psalms, all of the Psalms, they, they were written in context of what was going on in the world and what was going on in the life of God's people at that time. The context for Psalm 51.10 is that David had just been called out by the prophet Nathan for his affair with Bathsheba and having her husband Uriah put to death. And so Psalm 51.10 is a part of the larger psalm where David is crying out to the Lord, repenting and asking him for forgiveness and a new heart, a heart clean of the sin that he'd been living out. So you always need to know what the context is for a verse. And the same is true with a person in the scripture, their life. And if you go to Genesis 6, the first nine verses, that gives you the context for Noah's life and what was going on in the world at that time. Let me read this and unpack it. And then I'll give you these four qualities of a life that God blesses. When human beings began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful. Now, the, well, the, the last part of that verse says, and they married any of them that they chose. The sons of God lets, this know, uh, 
lets us know that these are spiritual beings, likely angels, um, perhaps fallen angels. That's what I would say, that these are, are fallen angels. And I don't have time to unpack all of that. I know some of you are interested in it, but in a later series down the road. But verse 3 says, Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever. In other words, I'm not going to put up with what I see happening on the earth for very much longer. It's, it's like um, your parents saying to you, or maybe you as a parent have said it to your kids, Look, I've had it up to here. I'm done. This is your last chance sort of thing. That's what God is saying. I've, I've had it up to, up to here. I will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal. But they were not really living like they were mortal. See, part of, part of what had brought about the evil in the world, and God really gets at this later, part of what had brought this evil about, and you can look back at chapter 5 and see that human beings are living 500 years, 600 years, 900 years. And so they were living as though they were immortal. They were losing perspective on the fact that they were mortal. They, they were losing perspective on the fact that their days on this earth matter and what they do with those days matter. Um, yesterday, Karen and I were at a, at a funeral of a friend of ours, been a friend of ours for a, a long, long time, um, Anita Johnson. Her husband, is, it was actually her husband and I that started out as really good friends. Uh, John is the student pastor over at Parkwood Baptist. And John and I got to know each other when we were students uh, in graduate school at Gardner-Webb University. And uh, John's just a great guy. Um, Anita is infinitely better than him. She's just an awesome, awesome person. I say that tongue-in-cheek, but she was really a great person. About four and a half, five years ago, she was diagnosed with cancer. It came back on her January a year ago, and last weekend it took her life. And the, the pastor at Parkwood, Mike, did such a great job with her, her funeral. And I hope that you'll, you'll take this the right way, I, and the, I, just, I don't want you to be offended by this, but there is, there is something different, at least it feels different, when you're at a funeral for a person who's maybe 85 years old versus a person who's 50 years old. Um, there's just this sense of that life is cut short, and, and the pastor knew that that's what people were thinking and so one of the things he, he said about this was, it's not the, the length of years of Anita's life that mattered. It's what she did with those years. Um, one of the things that kind of it catches me off guard whenever a, a young person, but especially a celebrity, dies and they die too young, like Kobe Bryant last week. It's just a heartbreaking thing. 
you know, as you know, Kobe passed away and uh, or died in this helicopter crash with, with his daughter Gigi and I think seven other people. And and by the way, listen, I know this is kind of one of those one of those moments, but hey, hey, listen, I feel bad about the other people in that that helicopter with Kobe and Gigi. And I didn't know Gigi, but I certainly didn't know the other people. I know Kobe. So get off my back on Facebook if I say some, talk about how bad it was that Kobe died and I forget to mention all those other people. Can I get an amen on that? I mean, look, it's terrible that they all died, but I, I, I wouldn't know that that's anything but a bad story if I didn't know about Kobe Bryant. So give people some slack. Don't be the Facebook monitor. People hate the monitors, so I mean, don't be hated. Okay, I hate you. No, I don't hate but, but, But Kobe, 42 years old. But man, he did a lot in 42 years, didn't he? It, it's not just the length of time. It's what you do with your time. Well, people in Noah's day had lost any concept of how important the days and the years are. So God says at the end of verse 3, the second part, part B, their days will be 120 years, so he shortens the years of their life. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days. And also afterward, the sons of God went out to the daughters of humans and had children by them. They were the heroes of old, men of renown. Um, there's a whole lot to say there, and I don't have time to say it. But these Nephilites, these Nephilim, are the product somehow of supernatural beings that have intermarried with human women. And there is a race of them that are controlling the earth at that time. And I know this sounds like something about aliens out of Discovery Channel, and that's not what I'm getting at at all. But, well, there are a few places that you can look in the Scriptures to find out more about this. Goliath, who was over nine feet tall, which is like four, almost four and a half feet taller than the average human being at that time is thought to be the descendants of these Nephilim. They're a large group of people who are using their size to dominate the earth, and that's part of what is so evil. But we're going to move on, okay? The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. So we tend to want a list of the sins. And we get a list here. It says every inclination of the human heart their thoughts were always on evil. Their hearts and their lives were bent toward evil. It's all they thought about. I mean, in, in just 10 generations, human beings have gone from the Garden of Eden to being on the verge of being destroyed. Verse 6, one of the saddest verses in the whole Bible, says that the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. 
Sometimes I think about that verse and I think, Lord, please don't let me live a life that troubles you, that makes you regret my existence. And can you imagine that? So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created. And with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I have made them. That just feels hopeless, doesn't it? It's dark. Verse 8 is the light at the end of the tunnel. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. One of the things I appreciate about how the scriptures are written is that sometimes, and and listen, I'm not trying to make God out to be a human being at all. But sometimes you, you hear that, you hear in him what maybe you, you've heard from, from your parents before, from, from your father in particular. My, my, I, have a, I have a great mom and dad. I love my mom and dad dearly. My, my dad is a great guy, one of, the, one of the best men I've ever known in my life. Growing up, really until I was in, probably in my mid-20s, he smoked Marlboro Light 100s in the soft pack, gold pack. He wouldn't wear a shirt that didn't have a pocket in it for him to keep his smokes. My, my dad was a businessman, and uh, anytime you know he was having problems at work or at home or whatever, he could whip one out. He wore his watch on his left wrist, so this right-handed pocket worked out good for him. He could whip it out almost without even moving the pack. He was good at it, Brian. Whip that thing out, tamp it down. Butt down, tamp it out on his, oh, I don't want to mess my watch up. <laughs> I have four text messages. Jimmy, that was the greatest sermon I've, no. <laughs> you light that thing up. You know, he had one of those Gillette lighters that would flip over, light it up, take a draw on it, handle anything that was happening. Now, when he stopped smoking, I thought he was going to kill us all. For about two years, he could have smoked one as big as a telephone pole. But, you know, eventually, I mean, he put them down. He never picked them up. But uh, <laughs> when I was in the seventh grade, I've, I've probably told you this before. My very first report card was all Fs. See, the, the chuckle there, that was not my dad's reaction. <laughs> and I was going to a private school, so he's paying for those Fs. And uh, so I've been sent to my room, and my dad, again, who was patient, you know, I could hear him. I, I, I couldn't hear him pull the cigarette out. He was in the kitchen, but I heard that Gillette lighter when the, when the head of it opened up. I heard that. Okay, good. <laughs> he's, he's smoking a Marlboro. We're, we're going to be all right here. And he comes down to my room. He's got a cigarette in his hand, and he's just taken everything away from me. No guitar, no music, no, and I'm sure music then was my stereo. No music. I'm thinking, how are you going to get my music? It's a stereo in my room. Cons, but no, no music, taking away this, no going outside, no playing with Stephen, Derek, and Jimmy. That's none, just none of it. He would, he would go back down the hall, and I would think it was over, and he would come back. 
And I could hear him, I could hear him lighting another cigarette. The end of the cigarette, he had light, he was so mad. And, and he came down the hallway like this last time and he said, I am just, I'm so mad at you. I, I don't think I could be any more angry with you. And I'll be honest with you, I was a little bit nervous myself. And uh, thankfully this just went through my mind. It didn't come out of my mouth. But when he said, I couldn't be any mad at you any more angry with you than I am right now. I was like, man, if you pick up my stereo to try to walk out with it and you find my pack of Salem, <laughs> Salem's in there, you, <laughs> you might find a new level of mad. <laughs> but he didn't. And, and you see, my dad, if he gets upset about something, he doesn't stay upset very long. So that's why I kept waiting for this thing to pass, and it didn't seem like it was going to. And um, about a day and a half later, he started giving things back. Not everything and not all at once. But that was, that was his way of saying, listen, I'm so angry at you. I feel like I could kill you. But at the end of the day, you're my son, and I love you, and we'll get through this. That is exactly what is happening right here. This, this is God, kind of like my dad, saying, I couldn't be, I'm done. I'm going to wipe you off the face of the earth. Almost. See, Noah and that ark, they become the light at the end of the tunnel. That's God saying, I love you too much to just completely destroy you. And so he doesn't. Verse 8 says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. They think at that time, archaeologists say that there were about a million people living on planet Earth at that time. So if you think about it, Noah is one in a million, literally. Verse 9 says, this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. And I've already told you that in Genesis 9-1, after the flood is over, after all of that has passed, verse 1 in chapter 9 says, then God blessed Noah. So, so maybe before we talk about these qualities of a life that God can bless, maybe we should understand what it means to be blessed. So I've put these in your notes. It's about halfway down the front side of your notes the word blessed, and by the way, this is a biblical definition. This is what the scriptures have to say about being blessed. The word blessed means to dispense favor or goodness. So to be blessed by God means to receive favor and good things from his hand. To be blessed means to have a favored status with God. So Jimmy, what are the good things? Well, there's a, a big list of things that are included in good things that God gives us. But power is one of them. God gives us the power to do his will. You, you can certainly see that in the life of Noah and this project he has. You'll, you'll see more of this as we unpack it. But it's a huge job that takes many, many years. And so it's going to take power to do that. And God gives it to him. Success. That's a part of the good things. That's also mentioned in Scripture. You can go to Genesis 24, and God talks about having success at least five times. It's all through the book of Joshua. 
provision. Like God gives us what we need. God provides for his people. That's a part of the good things. Now, all of us are blessed. Every one of us, we're blessed to live in this country. We're, we're blessed, even if you don't own the roof over your head, if you sleep under a shelter tonight, you're blessed than nearly two-thirds of other people living in the world. If you had meat today, or you'll have it, and Gene, I'm going to have meat today. I'm going to have ribs that you made. God bless you. Um, if you had meat today, or you're going to have meat sometime this week, you're more blessed than about two-thirds of the population on the earth. We, we are blessed. And even those who don't know Christ are blessed. There's something that's said in the scriptures about common grace, that God makes it rain on the, the, the righteous and the unrighteous. He makes the sun shine on the righteous and the unrighteous. But this blessing here we're talking about is a blessing that's for the people of God. It's for people who have favored status with God. And even though all of us are blessed, more of us could use more of this kind of blessing. Amen? So what does a life look like that God blesses? Let me give you these pretty quick. The first one is a willing life. God blesses a willing life. And under willing, write down available, because that's an even better word. God blesses an available life. Of all the people on planet Earth at that time, and again, there were maybe as many as a million, only Noah was walking with God. Only Noah was found righteous, which doesn't mean he was sinless, because Noah is a sinner, just like the rest of us. But righteous means that he was, as best he knew how, and, and there was no law at the time, but as best as he knew how, he was living a right moral life, as godly a life as he possibly could. And he made that life available to God. So last night I watched the, uh, the Super Bowl, what is it, like the, um, the award show where they give, you know, player of the year, offensive player of the year. A any of you guys see that? And when I say guys, I mean gals too because my wife and my daughter, they were watching it. They're big, they're big football fans. Did any of you guys watch it? I, I enjoyed it. And I'll tell you, one of the things I enjoyed about it the most was I didn't have politicians or celebrities or talking heads from CNN or Fox or MSNBC telling all of us how racist we are. I could just celebrate Lamar Jackson. I could just enjoy watching uh, Ryan Tannehill win the Comeback of the Year award. It was just nice to be able to just be people and celebrating these achievements. If you think about it, every person receiving award, an, award that, uh, uh, an award last night, they, they were just, they're superstars, right? Think about the game today, Super Bowl. Every player out there is a superstar. Well, Jimmy, there's some scrubs. Well, 
okay, technically, um, like, who's the backup quarterback for Mahomes? Anybody know? I, I did know. Is that kid used to played in Carolina for a while, then went to Miami? Anyway, he's a scrub. He's, uh, but not if you're in a football throwing contest with him. He's a scrub compared to Mahomes. He's a scrub compared to Tom Brady. But on that Matt Moore, that's it. But but on 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 that field today, he he's he's one of what four, five, six at the most quarterbacks on the field tonight. I mean, how many quarterbacks are there in the NFL? Forget just the starters. I mean, there's maybe there's two, maybe three for every team. The guys that are healthy scratches for tonight's game, the, the guys that could play, they're healthy to play, but they're just not quite good enough, is better than any running back in this room. You see what I mean? They're all superstars. I tell you what I've, I've learned about God's team. I tell you what I've learned in nearly 25 years of ministry. God doesn't need superstars. And I think that's the good news. He, he doesn't need superstars. And look, God has a plan and purpose for the life of every person listening to me right now. Whether you're in this room or you're listening to this message through our podcast, he has a plan and a purpose for your life. He wants to do something with you. Hey, look, maybe you're not going to be a master shipbuilder. Maybe you're not going to build an ark, but he has something for you. But I'll tell you this as well. Most of us in this room feel like we don't have superstar quality, that we really don't have anything, any great skill or a great set of skills that we can offer up to God. Let me tell you something. When it comes to being a part of God's kingdom, being a part of his team, your availability is your most important ability. Are you available? Are you available? Here's quality number two. A discerning life. God blesses a discerning life. God blesses a person who learns to discern or learns to distinguish between his voice. And I'd love to know how God talked to Noah. But he's speaking to him. God is speaking, Noah's hearing, don't know exactly how it happened, but there's communication between them, and God blesses the person who can distinguish between his voice and every other voice, including your own voice. I'll say more about this in the next quality, but there were lots of people speaking to Noah. Man, you're crazy. You're building a boat. No, 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 not a boat, an ark. An ark, yeah, more like a ship. And you say it's going to rain. What's rain? Where are you going to put that boat? Ark. Where are you going to put that ark? There's not an ocean anywhere near him. His own family members, maybe not the family that lived inside his home, but extend, you know, I'm, you know he had a brother-in-law. That was a goober. 
right? Because we all do. You know there's a brother-in-law going out there saying, man, what are you doing, you idiot? What are you wasting your life on this for? Because everybody has that know-it-all brother-in-law, right? Is it just me? Okay. I didn't think so. He had to learn to discern the difference between God's voice, all the dream busters around him, um, even his own doubtful voice at times. Let me give you three words here. Just write these in your notes. Affiliation, affiliation, agreement, and alignment. Affiliation, agreement, alignment. Affiliation. He's affiliated with the Lord. The, the greatest thing, the, 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 to, to me, the key to the life that Noah lived is that Genesis 6, 9 says, and Noah walked with the Lord. He walked with him. He spent time with him. L listen to me. You have to spend time with God to learn to hear his voice. Now, next week, I'm going to talk all about how to do this. I'm going to give you the nuts and bolts to this sort of thing. How to hear the voice of God. But between now and then, let me just tell you that you have to be with God. You can't just bump into him every now and again and expect to know him. To, to expect to be able to tell the difference between his voice and someone else's voice. You have to spend time with him. And then agreement. Noah had agreement with God. God had a purpose and a plan for his life. And, and Noah agreed to it. And so he, he's... He's with God. God, I want your plan and your purpose for my life, not, not my plan and my purpose for my life. I, I want your plan to be my plan for my life. And then there's alignment. They're walking together. Together. The best way to know if you have alignment with God is to be out of alignment with the rest of the world. Because listen, the world we live in today is just like the world in Noah's day. The world in Noah's day was walking away from God. Well, listen, the world today around us is walking away from God. And to find favor with him, you need to be aligned with him. To be aligned with him means to be out of alignment with the world around you. Let, let, let me give you a practical way of doing that. Your life, when you think about your life, and I, I want you to live with this. I want you to live with this today, this week, the rest of your life. When you look at your life, does your life look more like the lives of the people around you? Or does it look more like the picture of what you see as a godly life in the scriptures? Are, are you an average of your neighbors? Nothing, nothing about against your neighbors. I have wonderful neighbors, mostly. We have great neighbors, but not all of them know Jesus. Their lives, 
whether they realize it or not, are out of alignment with God. What about the people at work? The way you live your life at work, the way you conduct business, do you just sort of fall in lockstep with the, the other people there in your business? Do you spend your time, your money, your energy, your resources, do you spend it on what everyone else spends theirs on? Because if you're walking lockstep with the world, you're out of alignment with God. You haven't learned how to be a person of discernment. Number three, I got to move quickly. It's a faithful life. God blesses a faithful life. And over and over again in the story of Noah, we see that Noah is faithful to God. And somewhere in your notes there, under faithful, write the word obedient. Obedient. I know we hate that word, obedient. Ugh, it just sounds bad, doesn't it? Sounds like it ought to be a four-letter word. Well, actually, it is if you just say obey. But obedient, that's a better word. That's a more biblical word. That's what Noah was. He was obedient. He was faithful. I want you to think about a couple things here. It had never rained before it started raining to bring this flood. It was more of a tropical, subtropical climate. The scriptures tell us that the moisture for the earth, for the vegetation that came from under the ground, we'll talk about that in a, in a different series. But there there'd never been any rain. And now Noah, talking about rain. Well, he had never seen it rain, and he's trying to explain rain to people that had never seen rain before. He's building this boat, this ark, 450 feet long, which is about one and a half football fields. This is, this is no little boat, right? Um, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high, so the height of about a four-story building. It had three decks in it. This is a huge boat. And, and listen, they're nowhere near a body of water big enough to put this thing into. And how are you going to get it somewhere, even with the Chevy 3500? You couldn't do that. So you Ford Dodges, Toyotas don't have a chance, right? Where are my Chevy people in the room? Can I get an amen here? All right. <laughs> so people around him thought he was crazy. It, it took him 115 years, give or take a decade or so, to build this. That, that's nearly 42,000 days. Now, I just have to think at some point, even he had to think, what in the world am I doing here? Cutting wood again. You know, I'm thinking for the first 25 years, he's probably pretty motivated. But now, man, he's been in this thing 50 years, and there's, there are no clouds. And my neighbors, they talk about what an idiot I am. Maybe I am an idiot. But listen, because he had learned how to discern God's voice 
from his own voice. God's voice from all of the naysayers and dream busters around him. He trusted God. You know how you learn to trust God? He walked with him. He spent time with him. He's affiliated with him. He didn't know how it was going to happen. He didn't know how it was all going to come together, but he trusted the Lord. Let me tell you something. The Lord very often will ask you to do things that you don't understand, things that just don't make sense, things that you can't figure out how they're all going to work out. And I'm I'm telling you, that those are the times when you're most likely to want to quit. But if you've, if you've been with the Lord, you've been walking with him, you've heard from him, you know what that vision is, that goal, that dream, that project, that mission, be faithful to it. Don't quit on it. Don't turn around and go back the other way. Keep going. And then finally, and some of you are thinking, finally. One of the things I like about message notes whenever I go to another church, and it happens from time to time, I'm like, man, message notes, they give you some hope. You at least know he's about to land this thing. So, number four, God blesses a committed life, a committed life. Noah didn't quit. And again, you know there had to be days when he wanted to. When he thought, man, what am I, what am I really doing here? Why, why, am I, why am I doing this? And the ridicule and all of it just was overwhelming. So why do you think he didn't quit? He didn't quit because he knew the why. The why. Remember, remember back the second Sunday of this year, we talked about how to have a vision in your life, how to have goals, how to accomplish things in your life. And one of the things we talked about is that you have to know the why. You have to know why the goal matters. You have to know why the vision matters. You you have to know why what you're doing matters. Because if you don't, when things get hard, when things go longer than you expected them to take, and every building project takes longer than you thought it was going to take, doesn't it? Every remodel, every new construction, it all takes longer. It all costs more than you thought it would. If you don't know why you're doing what you're doing, you'll quit. You'll quit. And Noah knew the why. Noah knew he's the end of the line. And and if he wasn't going to be faithful to God for anyone else around him, and, and listen, he preached to them. By the way he lived his life, and he only had a three-word sermon, it's going to rain. And so I think Noah cared about the people around him. Some of you are thinking right now, man, I wish this was a three-word sermon. Um, Or just three points, maybe, anyway. I think Noah cared about everyone else, but he was doing this, if for no one else, his family. We learn some things about his family in Genesis 9. Before they get on that boat, the only thing we know is we don't even know about Miss Noah. 
All we know is Mr. Noah is faithful and righteous in his faithfulness to God, his right relationship with God, got the rest of his family on that boat. There are two saviors in the Bible. I don't know if you realize this or not, but there are two. Noah and Jesus. In fact, if you'll pay attention to the Gospels, Jesus will even connect himself to Noah. It was in the days of Christ as it was in the day of Noah. Noah was a savior, but he saved human beings physically. Jesus saves us spiritually. Noah was a savior. He, he saved his family. That's the why. What is the why of your life? What's the why of your vision? What's the why of what God has called you to do? Because if you don't know it, you'll quit. Are you going to live a blessed life or a cursed life? Because even the blessings that we receive under common grace, they're like a curse compared to the favor and the good things that God gives to those who have the status of favor with God. We'll pick up here next week. But I want you to stand with me. And once you're standing, bow your head and close your eyes. I want to pray first for those of you who are believers. I want to pray over your favor. Lord, I would dare say that there are some of us listening right now who think, man, I I believe in God. I've accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, but I've not been very available. And I haven't learned to tell the difference between God's voice in my life and my own wants in my life. Or Lord, I've spent too much time listening to what other people say and not enough time listening to you. Or maybe you would say, I'm a person of faith, but I haven't been very faithful. I haven't been faithful in many things. My giving, my serving, my loving others. Or maybe you would say, Lord, I... I want to say I've been committed, but I just don't, I just don't feel like I've been committed. And Lord, for those of us who feel that way, I pray that right now would be a moment of just release from those things. A, a, a moment where we, we just repent of that. where we stop going the wrong way and start going your way, where we 
affiliate with you. We spend time with you. Enough time to become or to come into agreement with you so that there can be alignment. Lord, I think that's probably where some of us feel just sort of out with it. We, we just feel like there's not a line, that things are just not clicking together. But Lord, I pray that you would hear our prayers for forgiveness so there can be realignment. And Lord, help us to take this message, not, not something I've had to say, but what you've had to say to us through the power of your Holy Spirit and use it to to change us. And Lord, it's important because the people around us, they don't realize that, that they're out of alignment with you. But I pray that in the way we live our lives, they would see something they don't have. Not that we're better. That's just not the case. But they see a peace. They see blessings that are unusual blessings because they're from you. And then, Lord, for the person or the persons who are here this morning have never, never taken that first step, that, that important first step of following your son, Jesus. Give them the courage right now to pray with me. And if that's you, then you say this prayer with me. You don't have to pray it out loud. Just, just pray it in your heart and in your mind. And our God, the God who searches hearts and minds, he will hear you when you say, Jesus, in the best way I know how, I give you my life. From, from this day going forward, I want to serve you. I've been serving myself or I've been living for other people. And today that changes because I'm going to begin living for you. Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Fill me with the power of your Holy Spirit so that I can have the courage to begin following you from this day going forward and learning more about how to be in alignment with you and what it means to be called a follower of Christ. Now just say, Jesus, thank you for loving me and saving me. Amen. Listen, if you, if you said that prayer, if you invited Jesus to come into your life, what I'd like for you to do before we close is take the connection card that Diego talked about earlier in the service. Give us a name and a way to contact you. And then on the front of the back of the card, doesn't matter where, just write a B on it. That B means you're believing in Jesus today. And then on your way out, we'll have ushers at all the uh, exits. They'll have a basket. We call that a receiving basket. Just drop that in that basket. This week, we want to follow up with you. We want to give you some next steps that will help you in this new relationship that you have with Jesus. This part is so important. So I hope that you'll, that you'll do that. And um, thank you for your tithes and offerings today. Thank you for being here this morning. Just look around. I know the lights are out, but just look at all the people. First service, the same way. God's doing some cool things here. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for you, that you're here to be a part of it. Uh, not a perfect church. Never has been, never will be. By the way, if you're looking for a perfect church and you find it, don't join it. Because guess what? It won't be perfect anymore. 
because you joined it. None of us are perfect. I want to get some t-shirts, Rocky River shirts that say, no perfect people allowed. Anyway, let's sing. I love you guys. Go Panthers. Keep pounding.
Thank you for worshiping with us here today at Rocky River Church. Have a great Super Bowl Sunday. Go commercials. We'll see you again next week. You're dismissed. Among the saints, my gaze transfixed on Jesus' face. I know a place.